to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, who've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. I got a strange magic. Oh, what a strange magic. Oh, it's a strange magic. I got a strange magic. It's pretty well. ELO. That's the second one was the one. The first one I was off. It has a weird time in it. Anyway. Um, Very nice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Jeff Lynn from ELO sounds a lot like Barry Gibb. You know, and that's just how it is. So, hello, everyone. DM Dave, Rock and Roll DM. Uh, we are back. And this episode is fun because we have a listener question from within the house. The call is coming from inside the house. And with that, I'm actually going to throw it over to DM Chris to explain why Strange Magic is uh, is our topic for today. Well, the other night, last Wednesday, we're playing in our Wednesday Nighters game, you know, aptly titled. And the, the PCs had gone up. We had, there was a huge Titan skull that evil pirates were uh, camped out in there. And so they kind of snuck up. One of the characters there, Luke, uh, one of our friends, he has a wizard in the party, John Arenicus. And he, hidden-wise, cast Fog Cloud into the skull there, basically encompassing a large portion of the players inside of the structure, right? And then combat began, right? And so I'm looking up Fall Cloud and I'm like, all right, so you're blinded and all these other things. But then as I'm starting to move the characters around, I'm like, well, where the hell did they go? Do I just run them in a circle? Like I started to have them bump into things and stuff like that. But I started to feel a bit of a slave to the player's intent, right? Like, they're like, I want to do this because this is going to do this. And I'm like, all right, you know, it's your story. I want to get it. But it's a little stressful because there isn't a good mechanic in that beyond they experience blindness. Well, what happens when they move and other things like that? Like, how do you guys handle game-breaking spells like that where there's a amorphous part there where the rules don't really give you everything you're going to have to handle? So I guess when you're in a situation where like the lights go out, literally, like if, like if I was over Dave's house where I, I've been in there like, you know, 40 million times and the lights just kicked and we had to find my way out. Yeah, I'd be good. But, you know, if you've been in there a couple times and the lights go out and people panic, then like, you know, it's anybody's game. I mean, maybe I, I would have thrown some insight checks around there to see if they move in the correct direction they intended. But I think you played a pretty on point. I mean, people were bumping into this shit. There was confusion. Uh, obviously, we couldn't see into the cloud. It was really kind of a game-changing spell, though. That was really the uh, the effect it put out there. Like, that really set the, the whole board off. And it wasn't going to be like, hey, they're going to run out and we're going to fight them until we run out of hit points or they do. It just changed it right from the get-go. The first thing I thought was, like, you know what? I'm going to roll for each of these guys. And then there was, like, eight guys in the cloud. And I'm like, I don't want to roll for all <laughs> eight of these and have to, like – this guy goes north and this guy goes south. And I wanted to give them a little bit of agency and I wanted them to have some effect too, but you make a very good point. Like it's, uh, I mean, I, I guess moving towards the player's intent works better for the overall thing. It's just, I wish there was more guidelines around that stuff. Well, that's actually, yeah, it's fun. Uh, the first thing that it makes me think of funny enough is last night we 
uh, found ourselves uh, not having to do what we were originally going to do schedule wise. So we're just hanging around the house. We broke out one of our new board games, which we have is Jumanji, like the original wood box Jumanji. It comes in like a wood box and everything. It's super fun game, but it does it. Part of the game is it makes you do like physical tasks or physical obstacles. And it's funny, as you were explaining it, one of the things is you have to close your eyes and walk across the room to the other side and your fellow players can say, you know, go right, go left, but you have to just go and and do it. And even though we know our house, when the lights are out or your eyes are closed, things do change. You know, your, your, your proprioceptive and kinesthetic sense is completely different. So um, I wouldn't say that it's game breaking though. Um, I like what Tony said more. It's game changing because Chris brought this idea to us in that how do we rule these spells that change the battlefield conditions? They don't create damage. They don't explode a fireball 60 feet away in a 20-foot radius. They change the conditions into which everyone is playing. And that's where some of that fun stuff can come, but can be really unnerving when you're behind the screen, because now I have to rule on all of these things. And it's kind of that intersection between where 5e has created really beautiful borders around some of the spells, distance, what it does and does not do. And people can argue about that as they will. But this, with something like like uh, Fog Cloud, there is a level of, of ruling, same as if I cast darkness, right? I remember in Tony in the huge giant birthday game where we went and fought Tiamat in the black dragon lair that I had, I had the dragon casting darkness. It's one of its, its legendary actions because it's a black dragon that changes everything you can't see. And unless you have a light source, that's also magical, like the sun sword, for instance, but scar wasn't with the party. Okay. You're rolling at disadvantage. You're this, you're that. And you have to roll that to a point. Yeah. So in that darkness situation, how did you, the players, it's different than NPCs, but how would you handle movement through there, right? You're blinded. I know blinded means that I have disadvantage on attack rolls and they have an advantage on attack rolls for me. But what does it mean as far as movement? Like I can still stumble around. I'm not paralyzed or something there. Do I, you know what I'm saying? Is there, how would you, um, how would you turn that into something that would be like a rule? Uh, I think that's a little tricky. I mean, that's because the, the whole situation was really like this is a spur of the moment. It dropped and hair hits and unfolding. But yeah. in the moment, I mean, without getting into too much dice rolling, as you were saying, yeah, you had eight pirates. You had two lieutenants. You had a a, a pirate boss. And are you going to make, you know, a 10 different 11 different rolls for all these checking their deck scores? Maybe their wisdom. Um, it's really uh, it's really difficult to determine that. I would have probably gone with insight, depending upon how fast they were intending to move. I would say maybe some form of uh, agility check is in order as well. Like they're like, hey, I'm going to slowly get up and get out of here. All right. Then I'd navigate with some insight, give them some, you know, moderately difficult roles. But if these are the characters who are going to panic, like maybe these pirates would because they're like, shit, we're about to get, you know, bum rushed. You know, you could have a, a whole free for all there. Absolutely. But on the same on the same side, so something like that, like you have this, which sounds really cool, like this Titan skull and the pirates are like locked in there. So this is a pirate group that's probably been 
a pirate group for some time. They are mercenaries by trade. They are not strangers to um, to danger, to battle, to any of these things. So the fog cloud drops in. They know something's happening. I would think that they would coordinate in some fashion. They would have a, a plan if something like that, like stay where you are and wait or you know, huddle up and go back to back or something. Because on the same level, what did the players do then when the, because the fog cloud drops, nobody sees anything. Well, that was the, that was the part that I was able to, like, it it helped to to balance it out a little bit is that they couldn't see anyone in there. Right. So it was, the area is heavily obscured. Right. So the, the idea where I'm going is that no one inside can see anything and no one outside can see into the fog cloud. So it's just yeah. sitting there and then people would come spilling out of the fog cloud, you know, as they found their way out. Eventually, like I start to curl them left, maybe this time and then oh, this time he's going right. Like it was uh, to keep it to keep. In a small sense, if it was only a couple guys, I think I could totally roll it out with that many. It's like. Is it right to err on the player's intent side then? Does that just make it for a better yeah. ruling? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Well, I mean, I, I guess that depends on, the, you know, the spirit of the game and the complexity of the feat that they're attempting. Something I would add, and this would be a pain in the ass for you, but looking back on this, I would have made all the characters in the fog cloud, I would drop them down to a uh, GM level. So we lost sight of them. And then we could, they, we'd attack the ones that popped out. Because those are the ones we're trying to pick up. But like, but the problem is we had a bead on all of these guys in there. Like, ah, he hasn't moved. They, she has. Dit, dit, dit. You do that. Then it's lights out. It was both ways. Yeah. That's a very good thing. And that kind of removes my, uh, like, I'm like, ah, I don't want to have just this guy just pop out because he randomly picked right. And then have somebody be like, hey, he's supposed to be blinded. But if it just, like... If he just randomly appears there, then I don't have to worry about it when I'm just trying to be random and not actually just have guys pop out. So, yeah. And I think that's a good question, Chris, because you said you said it well in the sense of the player's intent, because the intent is to create that level of disorder. It's like a flashbang when the when the cops are dropping into a house or the or the SWAT team is dropping into a house. Right. It's a boom. And it's this confusion. And that's awesome. And you want to play into that. But. It, there's still an encounter happening and you're still having to roll. And there are certain levels of rules that that allow for that. Right. If I'm blinded, it doesn't mean I can't do anything, but it does mean that I'm going with disadvantage and people against me are at an advantage, things of that nature. But I would also say, too, um, to Tony's point, because you guys are playing on roll 20 um, so you can see where everyone is in back to, again, the the Black Dragon, Dragancelor's lair when I had it cast Magical Darkness to hide because he was already under the acid pool. And now he casts a huge bubble of darkness that he can be in and he can see because it's his lair. He's magical. And, and, you know, he could see through that darkness. The players can't, at least up to this point. So I would have him pop out. And when that happened, the giant mini that we talked about a couple episodes ago came out onto the board. And when he popped back in, it came off the board and then I would put, I think I'd put my root beer can actually down to show where like the darkness spell was. Right. But they didn't know where he went. He could have been swimming under the lake doing all these kind of things. So yeah, what Tony said is, is a good point too. Just because they don't know where you're going. You also don't know where they're going unless you're using your ears. You can have tremor sense. You, you know, if there's other abilities that allow that, so you don't have to just servant 
the player's intent. But you can play to the player's intent being like, that's a cool idea. Let's play with that. And this is how we're going to roll it now, which it sounds like you did well, but that was a whole lot. It sounded like a lot of work on your side. That's the that's the part of the thing, but I think the that the hiding them kind of removes a lot of that because most of the stress comes from wanting to kind of play to the player's intent. This is a cool idea, so I want it to happen, but it has to happen in the context of this is the big boss battle too. Like I <laughs> like I don't want it to just totally go down in a flame of guys running out of the cloud and getting immediately killed, right? Like there's got to be some uh, things, and it managed to turn into something nice. It was uh, yeah. It's a shout out to uh, uh, fantastic players from Sly Flourish. Uh, I've been using some of the encounters in the Wednesday Nighters there for boss battles, and they have some really, really cool ones. Like this one was really cool inside of like a big Titan skull. Like inside there was like a bar area where uh, they had a bunch of evil pirates. Like it's it's some pretty cool stuff. That's awesome. Makes me think, though, like when you're when you're talking about those the players or you as the DM are changing the environment and how much that can really throw a wrench in the works. I remember in the Curse of Strahd campaign when you guys got to Lady Vokter's house and she invited you down to her basement and you were like, all right, this is probably not cool, but whatever. And you realize there's like a pentagram on the floor and candles like, hey, it's super cult, right? Like it's like so on the nose and, you know, battle ensues. And I remember Thorin's character, Phineas, and he told me after the game, he was like, I always wanted to use it like this because of the way it was written. So thanks for letting that happen. But it wasn't even that I let it happen. But what he did was cast um, the Hunger of Hadar, the Eldritch invocation that creates a black mass of terrible void stuff with tentacles and slurping sounds and all this in like, I want to say like a 20 foot radius or something of that nature. And because of the way that the basement of Lady Vokter's house was built, there was another room where there were some some minions and an imp, I think, was in there and stuff. And Phineas cast it into the room and then shut the door. So they're stuck within the hunger of Hadar and they are subject to unless they can stop it, they are subject every round to thing and then i think some of you guys also added we're okay i'm going to also help to hold the door and i'm doing strength and hey that's how it dropped but that's that is good use of your environment in the same way that the dm can use good use of the environment it can kind of suck though because it sounded like this was like the big final boss battle that you had built up to so (laughs) and it did end up still uh turning into that like it doesn't have to defeat it and i think i I found a little bit in the fact i was like well all right you guys can't see inside there right so i can gain control in something like that way you could obviously because i'm roll 20 you could see the guys standing there but as far as your players think so i regained some control over the thing and stuff like that but it was Interesting. Yeah, no, and Hunger of Hadar, yeah, like the, the coldness of space. It's like 2D6 yeah. cold damage and like necrotic damage and tentacles are rubbing up against you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's psychic in there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, no, that's, yeah. It was, that was really cool. Yeah, no, I remember that one. 
the the encounter ran really well. I, I didn't feel like that went off the rails at all. As far as uh, real fast, John Arenicus actually was the protagonist from Baldur's Gate 2. So wizards, please don't sue us for uh, the use of his name. But oh, I was going to say because it's a great name, man. <laughs> a great backstory. Go go check it out. He was a fantastic villain, super powerful archmage. You just love to hate him. And your victory over him in the end was really it was worth all the aggravation it took to get him. But as long as the players are creating a mechanic that we can just punk the bad guys with repeatedly over and over again, that's different. What Dave's talking about is we went in the basement and we used the environment and we got them with an idea on the fly. We honestly, I don't think we did that again for the rest of the campaign. No, it I never mean, came out in that fashion again because the, the I mean, what are you going to do that on Yester Hill? No, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Let's just move away. Right yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it kind of depends on the environment. But again, in the same the same way that you can use the environment, as we've talked about, to create these, because so many times we think about like damage. How much damage output can I get? How much can I hit this guy hard to drop him so that the players get freaked out and we do all of this and it gets tense and all of the, all the yada, <laughs> yes. yada yada yada. Yes. But when you when you get out of that idea sometimes of just damage dealing and how do I take away some of the things that they think that they have for certain. And one of the things I've, I've been really loving in the Dragonlance campaign, when we've done some of the battlefield stuff, they have the whole fray thing. I've talked about this before, but they have it going on. I don't initiative count zero. Let's say it doesn't matter, but they have an event that happens, some random event that changes the conditions of the battlefield. When you guys were fighting at Tatino Rookledust's house, and she's throwing out clockwork contraptions that are supposed to be hurting the dragon army, but they could also possibly hurt you guys. And they're just going off in I random ways. I can't stand Oh, my God. That, it wildly It doesn't do anything really damage-wise, right? I mean, the only thing that was really damage-wise was when the the errant horse knocked over Sir William, I think, as it ran through without a rider. <laughs> we don't talk about that. That's being omitted from his biography sir. later. He was right. beneath a horse, sir. Right, but like, it doesn't have to always create damage, but it creates a level of, well, how do I deal with this now? Because now I'm I'm handicapped in some fashion, in the same way that the players did to you, where... They handicap your bad guys, which is what you want, because you want them to plan out and like, OK, how are we going to do it? And the the assassin is going to try to climb up. I remember in the, the Brothers Chen adventure that you were running me and Matt through where we were all brothers. And it was a very like Japanese kind of feel. And we were yeah, you know, three brothers. Yeah. Um, and I had taken the assassin archetype in Rogue. So. I was always like, can I climb up here and get a vantage point and just rain hellfire down? Because I, you get like crits if they haven't taken an action yet. It's, it's ludicrous. And you don't want to take that away because that's that's such a cool thing that the player can do until they can't do it. Because, oh, OK, you like to do that. Well, now these guys know that you do that or they have a way to get around it, you know. Yeah, you look at all the really successful characters and stories or even comic books, and you have the hero who may have a lot of powers, but ultimately they're successful because they use their brains. They have that, and they use their environment or the situation or their abilities or their knowledge about the their opponent to overcome them. Now, as far as statuses like blindness, what have you, I wouldn't use that super frequently against the players 
because I think once in a while, though, it creates a neat dynamic. I'm just flipping this on its head. Like you go into an area, you can't find them. You're not sure. You know, you're running around a battle map and you can't see. Now using different senses to try to find them, you're finding a disadvantage. So it's not something that I would take off the table as a DM, but I, I would I would keep it concise. Like I would do that in this one situation, not just like, you know, it's a gotcha, the lights are out. And you wouldn't want that to be done to you either because it gets lame incredibly quick. I mean, I think it was a cool idea. I think that particular player asked for a solution like that. Like, they're mm. all inside. They didn't have any guards posted, like, literally in the thing. Like, I could have posted some guards, but at that point, it was late. We're trying to get to the thing. Like, it took a little longer to get to the thing. It's, like, Wednesday night, so we only have a couple hours. So it's in other places, like, they were boxed in there. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, I mean, <laughs> the... Thakvi's like, I'm going to run in there. And we're like, and then they were like, hold on. And Tony went up there. No, Lee, really don't. Yeah, yeah, easy big fella. You know, but it's it's asking you to literally want to bust in there and get involved in a barroom brawl, which eventually it did. And I think that was the cool thing is that I tried to play them with some level of, like they have some kind of knowledge about it. Like guys weren't just running outside. Like the original idea was they were going to funnel them outside. And maybe the first, I had the first couple guys come outside, right? Because... Shit's going crazy, but then they start to figure out that going outside is bad, right? And so they're waiting inside, right, and trying to wait out the guys coming inside and trying to take shots with crossbows. So once I did that, it drew everybody inside, and then it was just trying to figure out the right time to have a guy come stumbling out the fog cloud. Like, I had a couple guys at the top who were like, there was like, like you said, there was two lieutenants and like the, the pirate boss, and I'm like, they got to stumble out quick because I want to use them. They're so awesome. Like, <laughs> and eventually they made it out and they fought with Locke. Like it was, uh, you know, it was just a little bit stressful, something like that. Like uh, back in Tony's birthday game, Luke, very intelligent player, right? But he cast some of these spells and it was the yep. earthquake. Yeah. And it, like he's like, I cast earthquake. And you just look it up and you're like, um, okay, like. And then you have to figure out which buildings fall down and the distance of the whole thing and how wide it is. And you're like, okay, I just want to get to the next character. And then you want to swing your sword. You know, it's a, there was a lot, you know, there's a lot there to have to deal with. It changes the battlefield a little bit, I guess, to your guys' point. But it's, it's a different level of work that you have to do on something like that. I was actually going to bring up the, the, the earthquake spell because it was another one where I could, like, I literally could see it on you. You went, uh, like in your head, you're like, what the <laughs> fuck am I supposed to like do? I'm having to do some yeah. kind of math business here where I'm like, all right, so if it splits this way and it's this long, then this house should drop in. And, you know, the, uh, the, this, uh, the pirate Titan skull lair, it just, the way you're explaining it, it just sounds like the scene from Inglorious Bastards when they're like having a Mexican standoff from like above the, and he's like, don't shoot me when I come down, you know? <laughs> And they're in that basement bar. Yeah, um, but you know that that earthquake one is a good is a good example. But that is a good example too because something of that magnitude. Uh, this set the stage for this. It's not like you know I say like well there was you know two d six buildings around. Chris had set up for the game all these actual miniature houses down the line. He created it like a, it was basically a town that we're having this rumble in. So we had to look and say, well, how about this house? Did this fall down? And how about this one? And which direction did it fall? And, oh, there's a rift in the earth. Well, how <laughs> wide is it? Did it catch me? Did it catch Jen? Like, who's in the Yeah, there was a bunch of players, too. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 
it's a it's an example right now realize okay. earthquake is a eighth level evocation spell it's so you're if you're going to do it you're spending a lot of player capital oh, yeah. right so, so you so you should get some level of something out of it but real quick here you create a seismic disturbance at a point on the ground that you can see within range for the duration an intense tremor rips through the ground in a hundred foot radius circle centered on that point and shakes creatures and structures in contact with the ground in that area. The ground in the area becomes difficult terrain. Each creature on the ground that is concentrating must make a con save. On a failed save, the concentration is broken. As you are concentrating on it, every creature on the ground in the area must make a dex save every single round. Uh, on a failed save, they're not prone. Fissures open 10 by 10 feet deep, 10 feet wide. Uh, it's it's this massive spell, and it'll last for a minute. So that's going to last a big old long time. And eternity in combat. I mean, no, and those but the beauty are of it was a bitch when they hop in there because those yeah. are the ones that pop under buildings or people, and you're like, ah, crap. I guess they fall in then. Like, right, right. <laughs> but that was the kind of one where everyone at the table goes, wait, what? Because that's affecting everybody. I don't have the high ground in this situation. If I'm on a building, oh, I'm safe. No, that building's going to collapse, and you're going to take XD to, you know, something D10 fall damage, right? D6 fall damage, right? All of these things are going to happen. I'm going to fall into the fissure. So those massive changes to the battlefield affects everyone on the battlefield. No, Same with fog cloud. If you're in that fog cloud or you're trying to look in it, you're in the same level of a of disadvantage for everything as you are looking out of it. I wish we had a splash panel of all of our characters and the bad guys all at once looking at like what just happened at once. That would have been fantastic. That would have been very cinematic. Yeah, I'm thinking of the X-Men movie, uh, the first one, right, when uh, Halle Berry is playing Storm and they're flying in on the Lockheed to the Statue of Liberty because of the Magneto's plan. You know, Cyclops say Storm throw down some cover and she her eyes go white and the fog rolls in. Cool. No one sees anything. The only thing I see is the top of the Statue of Liberty. That's it, man. You know, everything else. Deal with it, guys. Yeah, no, that, that was wild. So actually, uh, another one where you're not going to find boundaries or really cut adjudication for is also was in the birthday game I played recently. And Dave's like, aha, I have been waiting all game to do this. I want a wish. I'm like, oh, God. All right. Oh, yeah. Dave, <laughs> what do you want to wish though. for, bro? Like, let, let, let's hear it. Like, what what is, what is your wish? And yeah, I already I, I calibrated everybody's reward. Like, you're in Tiamat's Horde, Tiamat's Slain. Uh, basically, the devils are kicking you out in, like, five minutes. So, like, thanks for handling this little problem for us. But, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying I'm going to kick you out. But, like, you know, you're going to get towed. And he's like, well, I want to get more of a reward using my wish spell. Like, like I said, everybody could have a specific ma a, uh, magic item of their choice out of the horde and X amount of gold pieces. And he's like, I want to rebuild Draco Manor, so I want more. How much can I get if I open a portal with a wish spell, just dump treasure through? And I'm like, well, okay, give me some die rolls. And this is the only way, fair way to handle this. I'm like, how many items should I get? Give me 2d6. And I'm going to multiply the gold by something like four times. I'm like, there you go. Creative, yeah. creative thing. Powerful yeah. uh, agency there. No, I mean, Wish is another good example. I mean, to, same with Earthquake. It's, what's that, ninth level uh, yeah. thing there, right? 
but it's something where you want to have some teeth on it, right? Like, I mean, I guess at that point, though, it's high-level stuff, right? Everything is like a thousand dice on the table, right? Everything is a meteor swarm, right? Like, we always we always make the joke, like, it's a, a pro gamer move. Like, yeah, like, you're going static damage on that, because if you to actually roll that out on the table and count up, sometimes it can be fun, but over the course of a battle, you know, it's like the, the Vengeance Paladin, I'm rolling like 12 D8s and stuff like that. It's like, hold on, let me count that up again. But yeah, there is something to be said about um, no matter how bounded they create, how many how many kind of rules and and frameworks they give, which we've talked at length. I, I like I like a lot of the the black and whiteness of certain spells and things of that nature because it allows for easier adjudication and more consistency in adjudication. But you're going to always have some of these ones, no matter how you can't create. You, I mean, you could create a rule for everything, but then it's the most crunchy system that's ever been created. But there are always going to be times where somebody's going to say something and you're going to go, OK, let's try that. Let's see what happens. But always, I think it, you can even say it, too. But I, I feel like the assumption would be that this is happening in this session. If we're playing it in a certain way and if it turns out to be something that is not not working in a certain way or you start to spam it too much or you're exploiting it, well, that might be a different conversation and I might have to adjudicate a little bit differently. But on a one off like that, somebody uses because that when else are you using something like fog cloud? I mean, literally, what is it for? It, I no, mean, nothing, right? Just perfect, to create a cool ambiance. It's, you know, you're throwing a Halloween party. party. Hey, can you throw Fog Cloud out? I really want this <laughs> place to look <laughs> I trade my house for this. Right? Like, I just there. have a job on Broadway, and they don't have to do dry ice anymore. Now I just cast <laughs> Fog Cloud on the thing, right? But, like, that's, that's literally idea. the purpose <laughs> of it is to create a level of, of disarray. And I don't think that you handled it. From what I, I wasn't in this game, but I don't think it didn't sound like you handled it wrong. I don't think you you I don't know if I would have rolled out every guy that he's completely random and where he's going. That's their lair. They know where they are and they're paid mercenaries. So they're going to try to like you were saying with the lieutenant and stuff, they're waiting them out. But then you also have the clock and you don't go. okay, that's where we're going to end it, guys. We're. In a fog cloud. Well, that, one, that one ended pretty late for the thing. It was like 10.30 or something like that. Like, oh, we well, finally killed the last person. Downstairs, and I still heard Matt yelling about something, and I went, holy <laughs> shit, they're still going. Doctor saying something. Yeah, but suppose, like, Wish were actually more powerful back in the day, dare I say. And, like, at one point, we tried to write down all of the limitations and guidelines surrounding that, and it just got ridiculous. Like, how many treatises do we need to explain, you know, what this one spell does? And I think, you know, it also fits the continuity and the judgment of the game. I remember we were playing Marvel at one point, and I think Thorne had super speed and hyperinvention, and he wanted to create some ridiculous device in, like, 35 <laughs> seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, now, and it to a point... That was that was number one, not understanding that create you guys cosmic level was just going to make it go completely off the rails from a power level thing. Yeah. But also it was what his character was about. So it's like at a certain point, like I, I want the characters to have fun. Like I, and in the end, and it's something like too is like as long as you are like, this is the ruling that I'm making on this. This is how the characters are acting. Like I'm trying to do it by anything. Sometimes I feel a little guilty if I have them just spill out of the fog cloud and it doesn't work. But 
it's right like I'm trying to I'm trying to give the player what they want right Luke wants to do those kind of things like he enjoys like outthinking and uh, strategy and tactical yeah. and trying to outthink of what the the layer is doing what the, the enemies are doing so yeah, I let him lead into it but to your point you know I, if you drop fog cloud again like I'm gonna be a little bit more prepared <laughs> than this time which On was, a, uh, <laughs> two two points there the first uh, about the uh, technocrat kind of his like rocket raccoon meets Iron Man in a way that's um, a really good analogy. But, Right, like how unfulfilling would the comic be if Reed Richards couldn't like build exactly what they needed right there? I mean, <laughs> like literally, if you guys remember, I don't know if I I recently reread Secret Wars because I'm stuck in the 80s when it comes to yeah, Marvel awesome. and John Byrne, right? Yes. But that wasn't John Byrne drawing that, but that same era. And they're on Battle World. They just get pulled to Battle World from the Beyonder, who literally has more power than like God, right? And Reed, at the end of it, they fight and do do all this. And then Reed's like, oh, yeah, I could totally build this thing that'll just take us home. And you're like, bro, where were you, like, several weeks back? Like, Dorothy, you had the power to go yeah. home the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, that, that was just a straight. So, like, a there straight, is a level yeah. of the player, Chris, as you were saying, you have a player who wants to use things in ways that are good that are inventive that are good uses of them and you want to incentivize that because the player is then going to be like awesome so i can really really get into this and sink my teeth into this character and into this game whereas if you just say nope no he doesn't work that way or or anything there's only so many times you're going to do that before it's really not a fun situation well and at this point is that like i want to enjoy myself too and certain things like that get when it gets a little once we had it figured out and the, the thing starts thinking it's cool but it's one of those situations where you're like Fuck, i don't have any idea what to do here like there's a fog cloud in the middle of the room which is a little bit probably like those guys felt so maybe it lent itself to some authentic play from the pirates as they stumbled around and they're and bumped into things so i would just have them all pull out fans and immediately be fanning the fog cloud away or something just flapping around yeah so if there's a reason why something fails I found even if the player is disappointed by that, they're much more likely to go along with it. Like, for example, when I ran that uh, the one shot and I said there's no flying in this one shot, I had different mechanics in place to prevent that. I'm like, oh, you could try to fly, but X is going to happen. And I knew there was characters coming into this because I created all these challenges and I want like everybody just flying over the module or just teleporting into the module. Like, let's just when I'm reading the module, I'm like, let's just get rid of A and B shenanigans right there. You can use your other powers and your other you can have agency. You're just not shortcutting. Appreciate being trying to be clever, but just not that clever where you're bypassing everything. Tony, that's, that's perfect, because I went through that with the finale to Strahd, the vampire fight on Mount Gacchus. I know we've talked about it and you guys have seen on the socials. If you haven't go back, you can see them, but the huge playset that we had for Mount Gacchus and our friend Scott had built that out as we talked about. And during the build, he contacts me because we're going back and forth about like, okay, well what's happening here and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Hey, is there a way that you're going to like stop them from just, I don't know, teleporting to the other <laughs> end of Mount and like literally just, Hey, I built this whole thing. And now we're just going to go to the final part that could have like, it literally could have just been a battle mat 
Like, why are we doing this? Um, so with things like that, like in the Wednesday Nighters group where you guys are going through the further, right? That's that's like a boss, but they're not like the boss, right? It was like, okay, they they did an awesome thing with that encounter. And nobody, but if it's something like Tony said, where you have to travel through hell and you want to create this feel of like, no, no, you're going to go through the adventure in a way. You can outthink certain things. You can maneuver around stuff. You you can use your wits to try to get ahead. But there's certain things to stop up. Well, I just go to the end, like Tony with flying or with Mount Gaucus. If anybody had the ability to dimension door, teleport, misty step, I was going to allow it. But because of the powers that were being unleashed from the Amber Temple, the dark eldritch powers, it was literally going to like interrupt that and only let you go a certain distance. So you could do it, but you could only go a certain distance so as to corral you into being able to have fun playing the adventure in the game that we are also playing tonight, you know? No, I think there's something to that. Like, right. Like you, you built it. You want to make sure they're going through it. There has to be some level of story to it, but it's a, uh, yeah, no, sometimes they break it though too. So it was, uh, that was a little bit of the fall club thing was like, it was like, in my mind, I had definitely pictured it differently, and I'm working up all these tactics, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. And then the fall cloud dropped, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to toss that out, and I'm going to try something different now. And now they're just, you know, running around inside here. But I think if you just roll with it, it turns out okay. Like, I, you know, I ended up having fun with it, so it's good. So maybe it is just, I mean, making sure you kind of keep what the players want, but in a sense of your world. This is the way my world works, you know. Oh, absolutely. No, you don't have to just to just play to, oh, well, they wanted it to work this way, so it definitely has to. It can, but, like, think about our two, our former Tuesday nighters, right, with Lost Minds of Fandelver, right, which was super awesome. And we built out our Iron Chapter, our mercenary gang, right? And, like, the joke, because we were playing online, and the joke would always be anytime shit went south, which was every game, I would just type in the in the chat hashtag iron chapter and everyone was laughing because that's exactly what would happen. So you would have where and this is with a brand new DM. I mean, this was the first lengthy thing that Lenny had run and he's running it with all of us. So that's a lot. Right. Because we're thinking about stuff where we know how a lot of these things work. Right. And the one point he's got a whole group of I don't know where they hobgoblins or something in the one room and matt his his character ziggy the wizard gnome he just had found a scroll of fireball and cast it into the room literally obliterating like 10 or 12 creatures in one go and lenny was like oh yeah they're all dead geometry is unforgiving yeah exactly but then at the same point we would roll into a room and we would plan it okay uh, I'm going to come in from the east room. I'm going to be behind the door. You'll open it up. Will it? We were planning <laughs> this out, and then we would roll in, and all our rolls would go cold, and we're getting housed by bugbears, and I'm just in there alone, like, swinging while people are firing stuff <laughs> at the doorway, and we're just praying like we last through the night. Okay. So, you know, it goes it, – it, there's always the give and take of it. You know, they get that really cool thing, but then, you know – a game or two later, they're going to get that shit end of the stick. And not because you're giving it to them, just because it happens. Yeah, if I, Leroy Jenkins do it. 
Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> if everybody managed to teleport into Tiamat's lair, the encounter that I already had set would have unfolded pretty much the same, more or less. So maybe, I mean, if that was possible. So I mean, there's times where you could use this shortcut mechanic and it really works out. However, players, if I had teleported to the end of Mount Gacchus, what would have happened is all of those waves of mini bosses just would have turned around and <laughs> pincered attack us between the BBEG and all them. So we would have had, what, five mini bosses out there and the big boss. It would have been a bad game from the 80s where I'd be pumping quarters into that game because I kept dying like every 60 seconds. That's a good point. Yeah, they, you would have just had all of that stuff just unload on you in one go. How many and continues do I have? Different. That would have definitely the action economy would have been really, really bad. Train wreck. All right. Well, it's uh, this is this has been fun. This is uh, this is a, a something we I think we could talk about for a long time. But it's about that time. How about we get to some final thoughts on the listener question that's coming from inside the podcast about. Game-changing environmental spells that change the entire battlefield, change the entire what's happening around you, not necessarily damage dealing. And what do you, how do you adjudicate those? What do you look for? Well, you certainly want to encourage your players to use their minds, use their abilities, try clever ways to handle solutions versus, because as for a DM for me, nothing is more boring than we're going to run in there, frontal assault, slam into the opponents, deplete their hit points, and move on. The win condition is always the same thing. Run in there, kick their ass, move into the next encounter. And like I would need like five pots of coffee to get through one of those games, let alone an entire campaign. So I want to encourage that. But at the same time, you've prepared material you don't want to kind of cheapen the experience of allowing certain ideas, especially ones that are up to interpretation, cutting out portion, large portions of the material of the module or making it just so easy that we're a collapse upon itself. Unless that honestly fits the continuity of your game. I can think that's the most important thing. If that idea fits the continuity, then so be it. It does. That's a fantastic idea. Give this person a trophy. Fantastic. But if not, Eh, that's where you're the DM. When it happened, I was like, you know what? I'm going to lean into his intent here. It kind of blows, it kind of throws a wrench into works, but I'm going to lean into his intent. And then I started throwing, there's a certain point though too. So like, I think it's, you lean into that, right? This is what I want to try to do here. Oh, it's a cool thing. Now this is my ruling. This is how the players are going to move. And let's just, that's the way they're going to move. And there's just no discussion about it, and they'll pop out. I think the hiding the people thing, too, would have been a really good idea uh, versus just having them in there. But I think it's it's always a good idea to lean towards the player's intent and then just make sure that, especially to kind of your point, Dave, is I made a ruling today, and we're going to see how that goes. It's a, you know, it's not, it's not a total democracy here, but it's a thing. So we'll make the ruling today, and then down the road, we may revisit it, but... For the sake of getting things rolling, this is how this is going to work tonight. So, um, you know, I think as long as everyone has fun with that, then I think it's a win. Even whatever the spell it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's tons of spells in in all the editions, in all systems, that aren't just, I shoot it at him and, and he does this much damage and make a save or whatever. There are ones that change the world right and those are the kind of interesting ones and that's the point of them something like fog cloud silence darkness 
Hunger of Hadar. They're meant to, I mean, Hunger of Hadar also does damage too, but it changes the environment, right? So that does, it changes the environment. Now, how your your NPCs will react to that and how the PCs react to it, that's what we're really talking about here. The spell goes off, how do they handle it? And I think some of that has to do with just who are you casting it on? Or, you know, or the, is this just some bugbear or is this, you know, the, the big boss who's a, who's a military genius? <laughs> you know, I, that might change it. But with that said, the CP is, as Tony has said, the CPU of the DM is running at top speed. So having to now adjudicate even more can be difficult. And that's where these things come into play. But anything that you can do to change the environment against the players as well is also fun to turn the tables. Like I said about the battlefield event uh, mechanic in Dragonlance that they're playing with, where things just are happening and now you have to deal with it. You can also take that away from players, too, in certain circumstances. There are times to take that away. Tony, when we were going through Avernus and going through the layers of hell, you didn't want people literally, you have 19th level people. A lot of them are going to be able to fly. I don't want you just to fly over the mod. So what do I do? Well, I stop you from flying. That's valid. And I think the players will go with that because there's some verisimilitude there. Same with Mount Gacchus. I didn't just want you teleporting to the end. There's some verisimilitude too. Um, so with that kind of thing. But what I would say, what this really boils down to is the old adage, if you want to paint really good bricks, like you're an artist, then you have to go paint a thousand bricks. And every time you run into one of these things, you're going to go, huh, okay, how would that change next time? And that's just going to come in, and that just makes your adjudication and your running even richer and richer and richer. It's not a failure. It's not a bug in the system. I think it is the system, right, because it's this collaborative storytelling. So, yeah, I probably would have run it a lot the same way. Um, I just probably wouldn't have been rolling for all those bastards. <laughs> I would have just had errant, maybe arrows flying out <laughs> randomly on initiative count scene. zero. Like, good luck dodging <laughs> this, douche. <laughs> so, anyway, this is great. Uh, Chris, thank you for the question. This obviously wasn't a listener question, but anybody who does have these same problems that we have, we're DMs with problems. We like to help DMs with problems. It helps all of us in the end. Please uh, get in contact with us. You can go to threewisedms.com to the What's Your Problem field. You can contact us directly at threewisedms at gmail.com. Also, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are active on all those channels all the time. We love to hear from you, so let us know. Chris, you were having to do a lot of rolling for all of your NPCs and pirates in the fog cloud. So with that amount of rolling... You should probably check out our affiliate link at fanrolldice.com slash ref slash 2871 to get 10% off your order because they're going to cast more fog clouds. You're going to need the dice. Anyway, that is going to be it for us this week. Um, And as we do each week, we are going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out.
And for all you listening at home, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please hit hit us with the five-star rating. It really helps us get the word out. Leave a review if you like it. Share it with your friends. Like us on social media. All those things help us help spread the word and help us grow our audience. We have been growing really fast, and we really appreciate everyone who's helped us do that. So thank you, listeners. You're, you really make this worthwhile, what we're doing. If you have a question, like we talked about earlier, you can send it in to the What's Your Problem field at threewisedms.com or send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com or stop by our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram page. Interact with us there. We're sharing a ton of what we think is fun content. Hopefully you've noticed. So that's it for this week. We'll see you next time for Three Wise DMs. Thank you.